last five months in Australia doing a YWAM. Um, yeah, so the first three months it was a lecture phase, so every week uh, new speakers from all over the world came and spent a week with us, living with us and teaching us on different topics. So we had this one week um, dedicated to learning more about the Holy Spirit. And you can go back, Joey, just stay on that one, yeah. And yeah, just um, we had this one day of ministry where we were getting prayed over for spiritual gifts and just, um, yeah, just being baptized in the Holy Spirit and really receiving. It was just like a new level of intimacy with him. Uh, there's another day, it was a giving day, where you could just, um, it was the Father Heart of God week. So just really um, seeing the Father Heart of God through my friends giving, um, whether financially or through gifts. Um, and something that I really learned was just how faithful he is when we take one step towards him and just how he continues to pursue us and runs a thousand towards us. Um, and another thing that uh, I was really, I got over was just a lot of unforgiveness that I had in my heart just towards um, whether it was different family members and just uh, just different forms of bitterness that felt like um, had overtaken my life in the past few years. And something that really convicted me during these three weeks was how can we cross the ocean if we cannot cross the street? So just really dealing with evangelizing um, locally was, was challenging for me. And then you can go to the next one. <clears throat> so these are my roommates. Um, it was just like having extra sisters and just really taught me how to really open up and express my feelings to strangers from all over the world and just how powerful vulnerability um, truly is and just how, yeah, just sharing struggles because there's so many people alongside me that were going through the same thing, so it was just awesome to open up to them as well. And then you can go next. Um, so this is my outreach team that I got to travel with. Um, our theme for our team was just how we are not taking God to Cambodia, but he's already there. So just really um, going to find him in the places that he was already working and not trying to be the heroes um, of, the, of Cambodia. And we were the sports track, so... Um, coincidentally enough, the first three months in Australia, I actually decided to like fast sports just because growing up, it was all I'd never known. So just laying that down and trying to challenge myself um, outside of playing sports was something that uh, really grew me a lot. And yeah, just because sports is such a universal language that um, going there, we didn't have to exactly speak the language to show people God's love just through our actions. You can go next. So construction work was um, definitely a lot of our ministry there, and it just really taught me to serve well. And um, Mark 10:45 says, "For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, did not come to be served, but to serve, and gave his life as a ransom for many." So reading that verse, one of the first days um, in Cambodia, just really struck me. Like, where is my heart when I'm serving, and am I serving with the same heart posture as like if you don't see fruit of it? Because we. <clears throat> We worked for 16 days straight, just in extreme heat, and we didn't all we didn't exactly see the fruit of our labor. But just really, um, when the enemy was trying to tell us like this is actually worthless work, just really persevering through that. And yeah, we did a lot of soccer ministry as well, and got to share skits with the kids as well. Um, and then at the same place, we actually did a feeding ministry as well. So after dinner every night, we would pack up all our leftovers and go out into the the city of Badenbong and. <clears throat> We'd hand out these packages of rice to the kids, and the, um, I remember meeting this one kid who him and his four siblings were all uh, living on the streets. His parents were just, in a, their parents were in a city over, 
just not living with them and they were being eaten alive by mosquitoes and basically lived off of the food that we were providing for them. And yeah, I just remember gaining this righteous anger, like there's nothing we could do but pray for them and that was the first night of outreach. So I remember just being super excited for what God had in store for me in the next two months. Um, yeah, and this slide, um, I'd always loved kids, um, even going to outreach, but really just my heart exploded for kids during the two months. And it was kind of this like weird supernatural thing where kids were just drawn to me and everyone on my team could see that. So just really showing that love and something that I was challenged with was finding the one. Seeing the kid on the corner that maybe looked a bit um, left out, just really encouraging them to, to join in and just focusing on, on the one. And you can go to the next one. So yeah, this was, we did a lot of school ministry. So um, something that I learned at least um, in in this country was for kids, like you give them a high five and it seems like their joy meter just completely, you know, pings all the way to max. And and just how like for us, it takes a lot more than a high five, but really being challenged just to, to find joy in the simplicity of life. Um, and something that God really challenged me too, as I was sharing my testimony in a church, just how he doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. So really just learning to step out and just let the Holy Spirit speak through me. Um, yeah, this photo kind of speaks for itself. We ended up being able to hand out Christmas child shoe boxes, which was just such a dream for me because as growing up as a kid, we got to package them and go shop for these little items, but to, to sit with the kids and get to open up these boxes and see their smiles and going through all the different items one by one, it's just, I encourage you to keep doing that because it's just so worth it just to see the joy that they get just from a box. And... Yeah, so this was a dump we ended up uh, visiting. It was just like an ocean of garbage as far as you can see. And you can see there's like houses. Um, yeah, so we went there and there's kids running around, no shoes, glass everywhere. And yeah, it was just like the moment where my heart just completely broke. Like just God was just breaking my heart for what was breaking his. And we ended up just being able to hand out just uh, like a piece of bread to every kid. But it just felt like so little. And yeah, just really learning to just be more grateful for what I do have here. Um, and then, yeah, this slide was just, uh, we had been doing church ministries in remote villages, and um, we'd started off the service kind of by doing um, these, like, child, like, these kids' songs to all these elderly. So it was just really funny to see all these old people trying to do actions when they could hardly stand up, and all their hips were kind of out of place, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, so then someone did a sermon um, on healing, and it ended up every single person in that church we prayed for got healed that day. And specifically this woman, uh, she couldn't straighten her elbow before she got there, and I ended up praying for her, and she was healed. So it was just such a cool experience for me just to see God working through me in, the, in healing. Um, and yeah, so I just want to thank you guys so much, just from the bottom of my heart, for your donations financially, and with prayer, just how... Yeah, just how you carried me along in that way. And yeah, I just want to encourage you to continue to pray for these nations as people are just really hungry and searching for, for something more and something real. So thank you so much. So I was focusing too much on what Carlene was saying, so I didn't get my mic ready on time. So here we go. Thank you very much, Carlene, for sharing with us um, I think it is such uh, 
such an incredibly important part of being church where we, um, where we listen to each other, and particularly where we listen to each other cross-generationally. Um, I often feel like it is, it is so critically important that those of us who are showing um, more and more gray hair uh, or fewer and fewer hair in some cases, uh, where we hear the enthusiasm and the excitement of the youth because it is absolutely essential to give us continued joy and excitement for our Christian journey. Uh, and then I think vice versa, I think it is, uh, we are in such a rich place as a church family where we have people with gray hair uh, sharing us about some of the excitement of, uh, you know, just one example of course today would be Frank's testimony of uh, the excitement of looking forward to heaven and getting closer and closer to heaven and the anticipation of that. And I think when we can share that cross-generationally, uh, there is something very, very cool about that. And so thank you, Carlene, very much for sharing today and, and for bringing some of the, uh, some of the enthusiasm of, of, of ministry and uh, missional and, and vision-oriented uh, enthusiasm to our church family today. That's fantastic. Appreciate that. <clears throat> I'm not totally sure, actually, if uh, Carlene used the words during her... I was kind of trying to listen, but I don't know if I heard... Did you use the words heart posture during your little thing? She shared it with me um, beforehand when we were talking a little bit about what she was going to say. And one of the, the words that she used was, uh, was the words heart posture or posture of the heart. I forget which way you, you put it. And, um, and it connected, it resonated with me, and, uh, and I asked her if I could pick up on that uh, as, uh, as, as our little challenge this morning, following her, her talking to us. And so that's what I'm planning to do. I do want to pick up a little bit on the, on the words heart posture for a couple of minutes. Um, before I do that, actually, I was, gonna, I was debating about whether or not so pause press pause on this little thing for a minute, and I want to just deviate briefly. Um, thank you, Murray, or thank you, Murray. Where in the world did that come from? Thank you, Carrie. I was thinking about Murray. Thank you, Carrie, for sharing today. Uh, I got the excitement uh, this last week, um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, to go snowmobiling together with a few very good friends, and uh, we got to go snowmobiling back into the area where uh, I have snowmobiled together with your brother, Murray, and... Um, and so um, some of that was on my mind, obviously. And then we came, we were firing down one of these trails, and it was just as beautiful as Frank described before, except it was a little bit more beautiful yet because the trees, the evergreen trees, were just loaded with beautiful fresh snow. And then the, the, the sun streaming through that, and, and so brilliant, absolutely amazing. Uh, thank you, Frank. Um, so we're, we're, we're um, making pretty good uh, time coming down these trails, and... And then we, uh, I see a sign there, the, the old trestle inn, just up ahead. And boom, I was thinking about um, your brother Murray and, and how he talked about the old trestle inn. It was one of his favorite spots there in northeastern Minnesota. And it was, um, it was kind of this unique uh, moment again of, of, um, of joy, amazing joy, and then, and then also kind of the reminder of the reality of some of the pain and hurt 
that happens in life. And I feel like that happens continuously in life. It's kind of, we, we bring these two together and then we almost feel guilty living in the joy, knowing that right here there's also pain and suffering. And then when we enter into that, then we almost feel guilty that we're not looking at and enjoying the joy and the amazingness of what God has given us. And so we continuously kind of work with these two and, they, and they're continually kind of in, in a bit of a tension in our minds and in our spirits and our hearts. And I, I think I would just like to say this morning that that's okay. That's good. It's healthy for those two to kind of be in continuous tension uh, because they are both reality here in, in our world. And so uh, I experienced that again this past week a little bit in view of or uh, following the time spent together with the, with the Brand family and remembering Murray and his, and his passing. Back to... Back to heart posture. So press the play button again on that, on that little part that I just began. If we take a minute to try and kind of catch the meaning of that phrase, um, heart posture or posture of the heart, first of all, let's, uh, let's just kind of briefly think about uh, this word um, posture. It's something that I have been hounded about uh, at different times by different people in my life. Uh, certainly, my mom would not have done her job faithfully as a mom if she would not have hounded me about my posture. So, moms, how many of you moms out there right now, uh, what, what did you say, National Women's Day, so we'll pick on the moms a little bit. How many of you moms have been faithful in your job as moms and you have reminded your children about their posture? Okay, there's quite a few good moms out there, right on. That's one of your roles as moms, actually. If you didn't know that, let me just uh, remind you about that now. You need to hound your kids about their posture. They need to sit straight. They need to walk straight. They shouldn't be slouching on their chairs. That's the part that, uh, that my mom handed off to Pearl uh, when, when we got married, is, uh, is this hounding me thing about how I slouch on chairs. Uh, in fact... And I put this right into my notes here. Um, as I was typing out these notes, I took note of the fact that I was slouching way back on my chair while I'm typing out these notes about, uh, about posture. So um, posture is it's something that maybe partially comes from habit. Sometimes our physical body uh, determines or dictates uh, certain aspects of our posture. Sometimes our posture is dictated by some of our psychological uh, makeup also. Uh, I remember being at a sports game a little while ago and the guy I was sitting with made a comment about um, one of the players on the other team and said, you can see that she lacks confidence. And I agreed and I said, uh, well, he said, by the way that her shoulders are kind of drooped forward like this and her head is kind of out like this and well, he was maybe being a little more descriptive than I was, but I, I, could, I would agree, yeah. It, the posture appeared as though this particular uh, girl lacked confidence. It was her posture that was speaking about how she probably felt on the inside. I don't want to take that too far, um, but I do feel like often you can tell a lot about a person by their posture. Um, I remember years ago saying something like, if that guy would go for a walk in the rain, he would drown. <laughs> Not sure if you've ever thought or heard a, a phrase something like that. I was, of course, talking about somebody who walked around like this. And, uh, 
and I was afraid for that poor person that if it would rain, it would rain right into their nose. God created the nose. Did you ever know that? In a very unique way, you know, so that the water runs. It's like a roof. It's perfect, the nose is. Have you ever wondered what it would be like if your nose was created the other way? <laughs> Wouldn't that be inconvenient? So God did it for a specific reason. He wants it to stay this way. The slope is supposed to be this way, not this way. So there you go. That's a little posture thing again. I feel like you can tell something about a person by their posture. And years ago, that was one of the phrases that we would occasionally use. No, I'm not judgmental. <laughs> Actually, do you know what the dictionary definition is for the word posture? I found this very interesting. It said, my dictionary said, it's an attitude of the body. I thought that was kind of unique. I had never actually looked at it like that specifically before. Before, uh, the way a person stands or sits or walks. And then the, the, uh, it went on because it's also a verb to posture. And that part of it said this, you communicate your attitude with body positioning for effect. Wow. When you posture, you're using your body positioning for effect, to communicate something to the people around you. Like I said, I, I, I don't want to take that too far, uh, but I do, because I do not want to speak actually about physical posture this morning, I want to speak about heart posture. But I think it might be helpful if we just kind of take some of this um, explanation about posture and then we translate it over to, like I said, I want to speak about heart posture. What is the posture of your heart? So we've spoken briefly about posture. We've kind of explained it a little bit. So now we need to briefly also explain the other half of this little heart posture phrase. And we need to speak for a minute about the heart. Now, again, I don't want to speak about the physical heart, just like I don't want to speak about the physical posture or a physical or your physical posture. But we, so we don't want to speak about the physical heart, that little organ that's pumping, faithfully pumping inside, inside your chest. Um, there's a much broader, bigger, deeper, more full definition of this word heart that we kind of want to try to zero in on for a little bit. It's a word that's used many different ways in our world. It's also used actually many different ways in the Bible. This word Heart. Now listen to a few verses. I'm going to read a few different verses. And, uh, and take note of how the word heart is used. So first of all, Genesis chapter... And I'm not picking necessarily any specific verses for a specific meaning. Just for the fact that the word heart is used in different ways. It's kind of communicating different things in each one of these verses. So Genesis 6 verse 5 says... The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. So somehow we've got the heart as the influencing factor in whether man's thinking is good or evil. What about Exodus 35 verse 21? And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work 
on the tent of meeting. Now we've got the heart prompting the actions of people to be generous or not. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. Now somehow we are speaking or using this word heart to show the depths of the effort that you are going to put into something. Here's another one, Luke chapter 2, verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Thank you. Now, that would mean something totally different if it said, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her mind. What's different when it says she pondered them in her heart? Somehow it indicates how deeply she was thinking about this at a whole nother level than just intellectually. John chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus says, Now my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. What does it mean when he says his heart is troubled? Where is he troubled? It's interesting, somehow this, this word heart indicates far more than the simple, now not that it is actually that simple, but, but the simple little organ in the center of your chest cavity. Somehow this word heart is being used to communicate something about the, the core of who you are. We often speak of the brain controlling the functions of the body. The brain sends a message to the fingers telling them to move. And the brain sends a message to the legs telling them to walk. And the brain sends a message to the tongue telling your tongue what to say. But then I wonder, what is behind the brain? What is telling the brain what to tell the hands? What is telling the brain what to tell the tongue? And what is telling the brain where to tell the leg or what to, to tell the legs about where to go? What is it that is behind the brain telling you how to feel, how hard to try, whom to like, whom not to like? It's that something about you that doesn't really have a physical name and as a result it's, it's a bit of a mystery because we don't really know what it is, but because it is so influential in who you are and how you think, so central to everything about you, kind of like the heart, the physical heart is to your physical body, we call this core you, your heart. And we say, he tried with all his heart. And we say, he knew in his heart that he shouldn't have said that. And we say, he shared his heart with us. And we say, she invited Jesus into her heart. So the heart is that part of you that is not physical, but it is, I hope this is generally captures, but it is the essence of the real you, your heart. 
the essence of the real you. So with that little intro, that little explanation, I want to ask you this question today. What is the posture, we talked about that a minute ago, of your heart before God? Jesse reminded us last week that we have entered Lent, a season of 40 days that lead up to Easter. I'm not going to go back into an explanation of that other than to, to simply say that I think it would be a good exercise to take a little time during, we've got about another 30 days left or so in, in, in the official season of Lent leading up to Easter, to think about and reevaluate or maybe reestablish what your heart posture is before God. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Be careful for your heart. Be careful for the posture of your heart. How do you do that? How do you work at doing this evaluation? And then maybe the next question is, how do you make corrections to the attitude of your heart once you've done the evaluation? For this morning, I'm simply going to offer one angle of approach. So, I have been an advocate of, and I still am, very much an advocate of, this um, God in the ordinary thing. And we've had a great journey as a church family in that category during the month of February. Taking note of God being with you every day, all day. Communicating, also communicating with him every day, all day. First Thessalonians chapter 5 talks about Praying without ceasing. You never quit praying. And I like that. And I want to always keep on promoting that. During the course of your day, in an informal kind of way, non-stop communication with God, God being a part of everything that you do and think and say all day long. I, I, I love that and I promote that and I encourage that and I believe in it. However, Today I want to challenge you to also, to also somehow build something into your world that is focused God time. Love the informal, all day, every day, fantastic, go for it, do it, keep on doing it. I also want to challenge today towards something in your world that includes focused God time. See, if I really want to hear Pearl's heart, I obviously need to be attentive all day in an informal way, on an ongoing basis. But then once in a while, somehow, we need to stop. I need to stop my regular activity. And I need to focus. I know that many of you are already on a great and healthy journey regarding focused 
connecting with God time, and I want to bless that, and I want to encourage that. I still want to challenge you to ask this question about the heart posture, but many of us need a little extra challenge to do this stop thing and spend a little focused time on connecting with God because it does not come naturally for us. At least not for me. It does not at all come naturally. And I need to remind myself it is not a waste of time. Don't know where I get that from, but that's what my head tells me. Jesus did it. Several times you're going to read in the New Testament about how Jesus went off by himself to connect with God. Luke chapter 5 verse 16 is maybe kind of summarizes that and it says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He somehow had this little category in his life that was kind of this, this focused God time. We don't know exactly what it looked like, and maybe it's good that we don't, because then we would try and make a religion out of that. Um, Focused God time is going to be different for all of us, just like me and Pearl focusing on each other is different than when you, any of you, focus on your spouse together. Uh, those Those are different. It's going to be different things, different times, different ways. And so your focus, God, don't let anybody tell you how it should look for you specifically. But something, some type of focused God time. There's a little story in Mark chapter 9. has a little nugget of truth built into the middle of it um, that I just want to kind of pull out of that story. So the story is interesting. It's, it's this one occasion when the disciples were going to cast out an evil spirit out of this young boy, this young boy who had suffered so very much and his dad believes that maybe there's hope and he brings this young boy who's possessed by an evil spirit to the disciples and the disciples who have already been into this thing, they, they kind of know what they're doing, they've been doing this quite a bit and they enjoy doing this, they enjoy being able to free people, praying over people and seeing them freed and, uh, and they've kind of got this thing figured out and they're going to do this for this little boy and, and for this dad. And they try, and it doesn't work. And they try again, and it still doesn't work. And it's not going to happen. Finally, Jesus comes on the scene, and the dad is about ready to give up, it sounds like, and Jesus takes care of it. He just, he just does it. There's all kinds of truths in that little sequence of events there, but we're not going to dwell on that. Because after the disciples, after this has happened, the disciples want to know What happened? Why were we not able to do the job this time? To get it done? To make it happen? And Jesus tells them, one of the reasons was that you have come to believe that you have got the power yourself to do it. To cast out demons. You are beginning to believe that you have what it takes to get this done. And it's about God's power in you, not about your own power and your ability to conjure up from within yourself the right formula to make it happen. This is about God and his power, not about you. You're at a place where you've got that confused. That's what Jesus says to his disciples. And then secondly, and this is where I, what I want to dwell on just briefly. Mark chapter 9, verse 28 and 29, if you want to look it up, feel free. And the disciples ask specifically, why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus answers them in verse 29. He says, this kind can come out only by prayer. 
And we go, sure, that makes sense. And we might even say, if we're willing to challenge Scripture a little bit, well, yeah, the disciples just finished trying that. But if you take a look closer at this word prayer, it's a little different than many of the other original prayer words in the Bible. This word prayer has got two dimensions to it. There's something in the original word that is translated prayer here that refers to a place of prayer. And in their world, it usually referred to a place out in nature, someplace, where people would come to focus, connect with God. A place out in nature, usually it would be beside a river, and it would include, many times it would include for them, walking to the river and kind of ceremonially, not, not religiously, but in, a, in kind of in, a, in, a, in, a, in an illustrative way, they would wash their hands in the river, um, illustrating that they wanted God to cleanse them, to clean them up, to take care of all the dirt and the filth, and then they would just spend some time right there in nature, usually that's where it was, focusing on God. And it seems as though what Jesus is telling his disciples here is, if you're going to go out there and engage the real world, and you're going to engage the devil, and darkness, and oppression, and evil, then somewhere in your world you need to build in focused God time. Something, somewhere, maybe it is in nature, We've had a few testimonies here this morning about the beauty of nature and how it draws our attention toward God. Maybe you've got a favorite chair somewhere. Maybe it's, it's all kinds of different possibilities. But it seems as though Jesus is telling his disciples there is fo some focused God time is essential if you will truly engage the devil and his darkness in the real world. And so, today I want to throw out that little challenge. In view of the question that we're asking, I want to throw out this challenge to be ready, uh, to be willing, maybe even to force yourself to do some focused connecting with God in a place somewhere where you can disconnect yourself with the world and you can come into the presence of God and you can hear him and get filled with him and his agenda and his will and his spirit where you establish how much you need him. So if this focused time with God is a challenge for you, how about starting by making this a little goal for this period of Lent? 30 days. Some people do a fast some type of a fast during these 30 days. Some people do other little personal journeys. Um, maybe this could be something that you say, you know what, I don't know if I can do that long term, but I can commit to 30 days. I can commit to this time leading up to Easter when I'm going to make a concentrated effort to do a little focused time with God. And then in that realm particularly being brave enough to work at answering this question. What is my heart posture before God? Or maybe I should rephrase that. Maybe we should rather say it like this. Um, work at finishing this sentence. My heart posture before God is. 
dot, dot, dot. And, and be honest. Broken. Confused. Pumped. Worshipful. Ready. Arrogant. Self-righteous. Carefree. My heart posture before God is... And I challenge you to finish that sentence sometime in the next 30 days during your little Lent journey. Amen.